All right, we're in John chapter 13. Well, the Bible says this, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Hey, what's, what's the common word there? Thanks, Pastor. Appreciate you. <clears throat> yeah, glorify, glorified, happens, um, it appears, like five or six times. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just, yeah, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all, let's read verse 35 together, can we? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this is where I take a drink. Say hi to one another. Say, say I love you. All right. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we love you. We love your son. We love how he lived. We love what he said. God, thank you that you have brought your kingdom into our lives, that your, your kingdom has broken out into humanity and transformed us and changed us. And, and God, that you've created a community, a community of people that are characterized by your love. God, may Awaken Las Vegas be that. May we be a people of love. Father, may your, your love dwell so powerfully and poignantly here in this church that the unbelieving world around us, God, would look past the buildings and past the programs, but that they would be stunned at the love that you have poured out into our lives, made manifest for one another. God, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, make this happen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. You can have a seat today. Someone gave me a chocolate on my way up. And I love him for that. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, so I just want to tell you on the front side, I'm always honest with you. And, and you know, I think that like in preaching, teaching class, they would, they would um, say to avoid comments like this, but I'm just going to say it for full disclosure anyway. Sometimes when we hit topics that are well-traveled, um, it's not always easy as a pastor to teach those topics. You know, like we, we've talked about worship, we've talked about service, today we're talking about love, and honestly, there are times where it's like, man, you get to a topic like this that is absolutely profound, it's absolutely important, we know that, but it is so common it is so common to the conversation as a point of discussion for us. It's so well-traveled that sometimes we can find ourselves kind of tuning out, right? Not that we would necessarily think this, but subconsciously we kind of do. A pastor's talking about loving one another again. This is a topic I've heard before. And so the dial, right, the dial just kind of moves in the wrong direction. And so um, I'm just going to ask you, please, to really not necessarily just pay attention to me, but pay attention to God. Pay attention to what he has to say, 
to you individually, but to also all of us corporately. Um, you know, stories are written in a way um, to make you feel like you're part of them. If you have a good story writer like Tolkien, Hugo, or Tolstoy, um, those are my top three personally, you know that they just have this amazing capacity to draw you into the story. And they have all sorts of different techniques that they use to do this. Of course, one is um, providing a diverse cast of characters, so diverse that you find yourself, regardless of where you come from, identifying with one of them. You kind of see yourself in that person. Uh, we know that these story writers are, are, are good at what they do because they're able to really craft an engaging storyline, right? I mean, it's just intriguing. It, it pulls you in. And they write with an emotional pull as well. So not only are you just reading a story, but you're feeling the story as well. And you know, if you, if you get a book like this and you're reading through it, you find yourself locked into the content. I mean, it's one of those... It's one of those things where it's like, man, you just can't put the book down because it's so good. Or the movie is so engaging um, and you're just, you're locked into every detail because they have this capacity to make you feel like you're part of the script, like you're actually part of the story. Now, the good news for you today is this, you are in a story, you're in the most epic story of all time. Not written by Tolstoy or Hugo or Tolkien, not produced and uh, directed by Cameron or Lucas or Spielberg, but this story that you're a part of was written, produced, and directed by God himself. That is, that is great news today, and you're part of it. This is, this, his story is an action and an adventure. It is a comedy. It is a drama, but above all, it's a love story. And when I say love story, I don't mean that it's a chick flick, all right? I mean, I mean, I mean it is, because some of you dudes are like, oh, man, you just got all mushy on me, pastor. That's not my kind of Christianity. Well, all right, it's not a chick flick. It is a love story. It's a love story between the persons of the Trinity that is broken out into humanity and that God invites you into personally, I just want you to think about this because, you know, sometimes when we think of love, rightfully so, our locus for that is the crucifixion of Christ, the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus. That's a rightful locus. That's a, a right epicenter. But you understand that love, love has existed uh, way before Christ was incarnate. In fact, before you, before you have creation, before you have the creation of angels, you have the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in an eternal relationship that is characterized by love. You know, you might be thinking today, well, you know, love is so powerful and love is so transforming and love is so poignant. Where does love come from? I mean, even in our perverted and twisted world that is broken through sin, we still even the unbelieving person can be impacted by love. And it begs the question, how is it that love is just this, this powerful thing? And it's not just altruism. It's not just, a, uh, it's not just a, a result or a consequence of evolution and, and preserving our genes because only the strongest can survive. No, it's powerful because its root and source is found in the triune Godhead. 
The Father loved the Son and the Spirit. The Son loved the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loved the Father and the Son. And, and all of love flows from that source. So I'm saying to you today, love has always been the story. Love has always been the story. And in the story that God is writing, that has an origin, that has a goal, and whose locus is the person of Christ, what God has been really revealing all the, all the time is his love. I think that, you know, you read these verses today, and of course, you know, because you're students of the scripture and you're engaged in what Christ is saying, you, you're just, you're put on pause because the word glorified, 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 glory, glorify appears so many times. And it begs the question, right, because you're smart people, what does that mean? When Jesus is talking about being glorified, the Father glorifying the Son, and the Father receiving glory in the Son, the mutualism between the Father and the Son, what exactly does it mean? Well, glorified simply means the full attributes of God being manifested. It means the full attributes of God being manifested. Or to say it in a more complicated way, the manifest perfections of God. Um, by the way, God is absolutely perfect. You know that, right? Every quality, every attribute, every characteristic, and there are a bunch of them. That's the holiness of God. He is, he is otherworldly. The creation reflects his attributes, but he is altogether otherworldly. And his attributes are worthy of your reflection and consideration. I'm not sure when the last time you... It was that you were just like, hey, you know what? I'm going to shut the television off. I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee or, a, you know, a cup of tea. Maybe you're from the South. You're like, I'm going to grab me some sweet tea. <laughs> Extra sugar, dude? I hate sugar in my tea. I'll tell you that right now. I... But you're like, man, I'm just going to reflect on God because there's no greater there's no greater thing, forgive me for the word, to consider than God and all of his attributes. Well, when, when those attributes are on display, that's what the word glory means. It's the, the, the attributes of God are being manifested in a way that we're able to see them. We see the attributes of God manifested in creation. God has glorified himself through his created works. And you see his omniscience and his omnipotence and the deep wisdom of God on a macro level and a, and a microscopic level. But of all the characteristics of God that are worthy of our consideration, I would suggest to you today that love is the key attribute. That love is the greatest of all attributes. Now I know in your mind, if you disagree with me, um, I just would encourage you to wait until after the service to let me know that. Um, or, or send, send Pastor Josh an email because he would love to hear your other opinion. <laughs> but, but love is the key attribute of God. You read from Genesis to Revelation and it just, it's evident that love emerges, right? If God's attributes are like the many mountain peaks in the Alps and there are many beautiful mountain peaks, his love would be like Mount Blanc, the highest and the most spectacular of all. 15,777 feet. They're all beautiful peaks, but that one just seems to stand out. There is nothing like the love of God. I wonder today if you've experienced it. I wonder today if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. 
The Father loves the Son. The Son's love for the Father. Their love for us made available through the cross of Christ and God's love flowing freely among his people. That's when he's glorified. Listen, that's when people see him. They see that the triune Godhead has existed in heaven forever for all of eternity and shared love. And now that love has been given to us. And when people see us loving one another, their attention is drawn to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is precisely what he prayed. This is precisely what he prayed. Hey, he is wrapping up the upper room discourse. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to see this in a couple of chapters because because this is a protracted um, description and explanation of what happens in these moments. Clearly, it was profound in the heart of John the Apostle because he lands here and stays here for a while. I mean, we have multiple chapters dedicated to just a few hours of time. But he... He will uh, elucidate for us the the high priestly prayer of of Christ that contains this very sentiment. When Jesus prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 20, he said this, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me And I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, let's just pause there, right? He's praying to the Father. He's praying for the disciples, and not just for the disciples, but for every disciple that will come after the disciples. And so he's praying for the church over the course of history. What is he praying for? Well, you tell me. What's he praying for? He's praying for unity. He's praying for a oneness, And listen, not just like a unity that we contrive or make up, but a unity that is that is like the same unity that the Father and the Son had together. Um, I just want you to narrow the scope today, all right? Because I say church, big church, big C, over time in history, and you're like, man, that blows my mind. Well, let's just think about this proximity. Let's just think here, right? Let's just think awake in Las Vegas today. I don't mean this to do in a selfish way, but, but let's just think about the prayer that he had for us. Like this is the son's prayer to the father for us today, that we would have unity among each other that would be the same unity, the same binding together, the same oneness that the father and the son have had for all eternity. Why is that the case? Well, he says this, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I mean, this is big, right? When the world looks at us and sees unity and oneness and the love of Christ ruling and reigning in our relationships, all of a sudden it signifies, it points to the fact that Jesus is real and he was sent by the Father. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one That's big. Man, chew on that, right? That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. This isn't my prayer. This isn't just the prayer of the pastors. This is the prayer of Jesus for this church, for this church, a unity and a love that would make manifest 
the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You say, well, what, what, what is love? What is love? I want to define love for you today in some terms, okay, and then give you a, a better description of it. Love is the unconditional self-givingness of God that springs naturally from his being and is eternally displayed within the Trinity and all his creation through Christ and among his people. Love is the self-givingness of God. In other words, God freely gives himself away. It is the desire of God to unconditionally give himself to you, not because you've merited it, not because you've earned it. In fact, you and I have done the exact opposite. We've resisted, we've rejected, we've done it our own way. And in spite of that, right, he still loves us. He still desires to give himself to us. Now, this should blow your mind because this is not the way the world loves. And God does this because God is love. Because he is love, it is his nature. He can't help it. And not only that, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He shaped you while you were in the matrix of your mother's room, Psalm 139. While you were in that hidden place, in that dark place, unseen, God was carefully connecting things together and multiplying cells and molding and shaping, not just you physically, but also your psychology and your personality. And he brought you forth just as he intended. He loves you. And you know what? If you think today, well, you know what? That's a kind of a sterile definition of love, and it's all framed in man's ideas. If you really want the greatest description of love, you have to know, look no further than the life of Christ. Jesus is the full expression of the love of the Father, you know, you might be thinking today, well, I don't know if God's a God of love, and I'm not totally convinced of that, and I hear you saying all of this, Pastor, and I don't have a lot of good examples. How can I know what the love of God really looks like? I say to you, open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read their testimony. Read what they said about Jesus Consider who he was and how he lived his life. Church, I'm just saying to us today that according to the words of Christ, love is the key. Are you with me? Love reveals his kingdom has come. We know that the kingdom of God has come uh, upon us and among us because his love has been demonstrated. Love is the key quality of God's kingdom because God has always been love. And when the people of God are walking in love, it radiates the triune relationship, the love that the Father has for the Son and the Spirit. And when I talk about God's love, remember, I'm not talking about worldly sentimentality. I'm not talking about chemical impulses. Because you know today in this, this era that we live in that really, uh, really conceives that science is the only basis for truth, they have reduced love to a series of chemical impulses that flow through your body. Now, I just hope that in your marriage relationship, you know, you don't say to your wife, hey, I, I've got a lot of chemical impulses, babe. I just want you to know. I just want you to know. Right? I mean, how committed I am and how much I care for you. And, and I am that way because I got these chemicals flowing through my body. And, and you know that's a problem, all right? I mean, that's not going to score you any points. I just, I just want to tell you today, um, those are not the types of things you want to say when you're announcing your vows to your husband or to your wife. It's not chemical impulses. 
It's not some agenda-driven way of manipulating people. You know sometimes that's what love is for people. It's just you've got, you've got an angle. You've got an angle, man, you know? And so you want something from somebody, and so you modify your behavior in a way where it looks like love, but the truth is this. There are strings attached. You have expectations that, you know, you are wanting to be met and so the fact is, you're just manipulating somebody through your actions so you can get what you want all along, and that is not the love of God. No, what God did is he put the world on notice. Jesus said, hey, when you pray, pray this. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, let me just say to you, the kingdom of God came in the person of Christ. The kingdom of God was inaugurated when Christ was incarnate, when he lived his perfect life, when he was crucified, and when he was resurrected. The kingdom of God was inaugurated at that point, and it continues to advance. It continues to march forward and will do so until he comes again. So the kingdom of God has come, but the way God brought it is just crazy. The way God brought his kingdom, he brought his kingdom through a naked, suffering, crucified man. I want you to think about that today. He brought his kingdom through a naked, suffering, crucified man. You know, when we think about kingdoms and, you know, the advancement of earthly kingdoms, we think, well, it takes power, it takes resources, it means subjugating people, it means asserting your will over the will of others. And you know what? That's not the way that God brought his kingdom. God brought his kingdom through his son who suffered and hung on a cross, was crucified for you and for me, shamed before the world. And in that, God was saying, I love you. I love you. Today, you might be thinking as I say those words, man, what is that all about? What is that all about, that the Father would subject the Son to such shame? And Jesus said in his own words, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That's what the cross is. The cross is a demonstration. God put the world on notice that it was about his love. And when he touches your life with his love, you. I mean, you're changed. You're changed. You're transformed. Listen, love is the key. We know that the kingdom of God has come because the love of God is demonstrated through the person of Christ. But not only that, the power of his love transforms and changes you. Hey, the fact is this, we are all left broken by sin. We're all left broken. We're, bo we're, we're born, we're, we're, we born, we born broken. It's like we were born broken. We're born broken. We came out of the womb. You may have been the cutest baby on the face of planet Earth, but you were still broken. You were still broken. Sin has left all of us broken. And when you come to the Father through the Son in faith, the kingdom of God breaks into your life and he heals what was broken. He cleanses you. He restores you. He heals you. He fixes you. And then not only that, but he secures you. He makes you his own. And that is good news today. 
I would just say to you, brothers and sisters, you're not chattel, you're not slaves, you're not property, you aren't his thing, you're his beloved. How amazing is that? And the Father looks at your life today, he sees you, and he treasures you. He treasures you. He loves you. You guys know what it's like if you've had kids, um, children, and you know you're holding, you're holding that baby in your arms. I mean, you're, you're just radiating, right? There's just a, you're radiating just this joy as you're looking down upon this beautiful, beautiful creation of God. And, and I would just suggest to you that that is a small picture. It's a glimmer. It's a glimmer of the disposition of the Father for you as you've been born into his kingdom. Man, he looks at you with love and he says, you're mine. You're mine. Now, I know some of you. <laughs> and you know me, right? Yeah. And sometimes we're not the most lovely, lovable people on the face of planet Earth. And the very fact that the Father, you know, the very fact that the Father, in spite of all of the inadequacies and insufficiencies and struggles and failures, because I bet this week, I bet this week you weren't perfect. Right? Anybody here have a perfect week where you walked in? Jackie, that's not true. <laughs> Anybody here have a perfect week where it's like, man, you know, you just, you, you batted a thousand this week. You didn't say a word that was demeaning or undermining. You always had the right attitude. You didn't struggle with greed or gluttony or lust or anything like that. Okay, we're all in trouble, right? That's just, that's just the reality. But the Father loves us. He loves us. And he transforms and changes us. He does not leave us the same we belong to him. I was driving past a restaurant a couple of weeks ago, and the restaurant had a sign on it that said, under new management. And I, I, thought, I was thinking about this, right? I mean, what are they saying by that sign? Well, what they're saying is, hey, you know, uh, you know the way it used to be? Like cockroach infested. Cockroach infested, you know, nasty attitudes for people serving, food really crummy, miserable environment. You know, all those things that you hated about this place, well, that's over, right? That's the thing of the past, and there's a whole new thing here. So we're starting fresh, right? The cockroaches are gone, the, 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 bad, the bad players in the story, the bad... The bad actors in the restaurant are gone. The food's a lot better. And so you're, you're, that sign is supposed to disconnect you from, from the past, the way it used to be, and to enable you to understand that there's just this new thing that's happening. And I would just suggest to you today, it might not be the best illustration, but if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you are under new management. You're under new management. And I know some of you are super particular, and I'm not saying that God is just your manager, but just work with me here for a minute, right? The, the cockroaches are gone. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing. The attitude, the attitude is changing. The attitude is changing. Paul said it like this. If anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation, all the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become brand new. Isn't it good to be loved by him? Isn't it good to be loved by him? Listen, love is the key. Love indicates that his kingdom has come. 
Love has the power to transform and change our lives. And the final thing today is this. Love is the calling card of Christ's kingdom people. Love is the calling card of Christ's kingdom people. This is what he's doing. He's creating a new community, a kingdom community. And so, you know, in his last hours with his disciples, he says to them in verse 34, a new command I give to you, that you love one another, check this out, just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. So Jesus is saying, with this new kingdom comes a new command. What is the new command? What is the calling card of the Christian? What is going to typify What is going to typify and manifest that we truly are the people of God? Well, he doesn't say our programs. He doesn't say our buildings. He doesn't say our abilities. He doesn't say our personalities or our power to influence people. He doesn't say the vastness of our social media platform. He says love, love, love one another. It's interesting to me that he uses the word command, a new command. Now, the low-hanging fruit on that would say, well, he was just saying it wasn't a suggestion, right? Hey, I'm not, I just suggest you guys might be really good in your best interest if you just kind of, you know, love one another. Um, He doesn't say that. He says command. Now, I don't think as he uses this word, he's like, he is screwing down uh, legalism upon his disciples. I think what he's saying is, I want you to understand how essential this is. From my point of view, he says, I want you to understand how essential this is, that this is a non-negotiable. And so I'm going to frame it in those types of terms. This is a command. This isn't a matter of personal convenience, right? Because sometimes that's the way that we love. Sometimes for, for us, honestly, today, it can just be a matter of personal convenience, And we don't really see loving one another as as necessary, as essential, as part of really being obedient to Jesus and demonstrating that his kingdom has come in our life. No, we sometimes view it as, well, I'll do it if if it, it, it works out for me. Hey, if it's convenient for me, if I get something out of it, um, if it aligns with my preferences for the day, and I'm just saying, he didn't frame it like that. This is a non-negotiable. The second thing that I think that is interesting that he says is this, uh, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just, just as, just as. Now, I just, I want to interact a little bit today, okay? And so I want, to, I want you guys to answer this question for me. How, his love is good, right? Amen. Anybody happy about the love of God today? All right, that's good. Okay. I mean, Jesus' love is pretty amazing, isn't it? How has he loved you? Sacrificially? Unconditionally? Abundantly? With mercy? all the time, graciously, what else? Patiently, forever, what? Eternally. Yeah, no, these are good. These are, they're kind of theologically to me, you know? Like, these are good answers, they're solid. Um, but you know, he loves you when you're at your worst. Anybody experience that? Like, you know, you're just, you've been running in the wrong direction for a long time. 
and God gets your attention and you turn around and you don't, you don't find a God that's ready to smack you upside the head. You find a God who's like, come on, come on, come home, come home to me. I've never, I've never not loved you. I've never stopped loving you. I think he loves us tenderly and compassionately and, and, and like it's been said here, consistently. Right? I, don't think the, I don't think the love of Christ for us has just been a, an issue of convenience, right? And we know that that's the case because I, I can't think of anything more inconvenient than the cross, crucifixion. He was willing to go that far. Paul says, if the father delivered up his own son, why would he withhold from you any good thing? Like he went that far. Like this is the argument of from the extreme. If he went as far as that, then you know what? He'll fill in everything else. And so when Jesus says, and I just want you to think about the words that were shared here today and your own experience with Christ, he sets the standard for us. He sets the standard. You know, he doesn't just leave it to us to sort out what that love is going to look like. He doesn't say, hey, you know what, you guys kind of define it yourself and come up with your own conclusion. As long as it's better than the world's definition of love, you're good to go. If you start with the world, you'll never reach the love of Christ. Right? I mean, his love, is, his love is out of this world and has come to us through the crucifixion. But we have to let the way that Christ has loved us define or set the parameters on how we love one another. You don't love others just because you've been told to. Like, you can't walk away today going, well, pastor told me I had to love people, so I really don't want to. But I guess I have to, you know. Are we going next Sunday? <laughs> you don't love just because you've been told to. You love others because Christ has loved you. Like he has filled your cup. He's filled your cup and you hit those moments where it sincerely and honestly is like, you know what, God, I don't want to. I don't want to. And, and you know, I don't even really like this person, right? We, we sometimes are put in those situations where it is only by God's love. Listen, it's only by God's love. You've got someone that you've been antagonistic with and they come to you and say, hey, all right, listen, you know, we need to do the right thing and I think we've buried the hatchet. And you're like, yeah, you buried it in my back, right? You know, like, can you, before we work on forgiveness, can you pull that thing out? Because it's like really deep and it really hurts, you know? And this might be your marriage. It might be your marriage. It might be somebody in the church. It, it, might be, it might be one of your children, you know, but that's when it's like, God, you know what? I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this, but I know that you can do this through me. And it's in those moments where it's like, you, you live the way of Christ. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I just want to dial the description in just a little bit today because some of you might be thinking, well, that's still kind of ethereal and, and I don't really know what that practically means. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, some of you might have uh, had this shared at your wedding ceremony as the last time you ever read the verse, you know, and you've been married for 40 years. But it says this, love is patient and kind. I think, it, yeah, there it is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. We just let that sit for a minute, okay? 
Oh, we're not done. It is not irritable. Oh my gosh. You know how much that convicted me this week? I was like, oh God, you know, I can be so irritable in Jesus' name, you know? It is not irritable or resentful, right? Love doesn't hold a grudge. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't say, well, you know what? Yeah, I love you. And then, and then there's all of this unresolved crap, sorry, all this unresolved refuse that we foster and keep to ourselves in the name of like, well, you know what? I almost deserve to hang on to this because I was, I was so wounded and hurt. And it's like, man, you know what? That's going to become a toxic mess for you, a toxic mess. And that's not what love does. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And all Paul is doing is describing the life of Christ. This is how he lived. You know, there are things love doesn't do. Like he said, it doesn't envy You don't look at other people and think, well, I wish I had that, and I wish I had what God has given them, and you know what, I don't really don't like them anyway, and this covetousness starts to birth an attitude in your heart about somebody. You start to despise them for what God has given to them because God hasn't given it to you. Paul says that's not love. Love doesn't boast. You don't seek to exalt yourself, right? You're not seeking to make yourself known. You're not seeking for others to have their attention drawn to you while you press others down so the difference between you and somebody else seems greater and other people get the honor that, other people give the honor that you want. That's not love. Love is not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Love love never... Love is never expressed, expressed when it's like, well, you know what? This is the way I'm going to do it, and I really don't care what you think. It's my way or the highway. No, love is willing to yield. Love is willing to concede. Love is willing to at least listen and pray. Right? I'm not saying today to you that love is going to compel you to do something that's in conflict with the word of God. But you know what? If you can't just step back and say, okay, listen, I don't necessarily agree with that. I wouldn't do it that way, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and ask God to speak to me on this situation. And maybe what I need to do is I need, need to yield. And I need to demonstrate that I trust God enough so that even in my yielding as an expression of love, even if it might not be the best thing, I know God's still going to take care of me. It's not irritable. It's not on edge, right? You don't operate in a way where it's like, Everyone has to walk on eggshells around you, right? You know what I'm talking about? I'll just, like, confession moment for you guys. Sometimes I can be such a driven person and have such high expectations that I can get, I can get really irritable and edgy, you know, on edge. And th- th- those are times where it's like sometimes I just need to go to the secret place and seek the face of God. I need to remind myself, be nice to people and love people. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices, um, sorry. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. What it does do is this. It's patient. It's kind. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. When you love God's people, remember the context here is not just loving everybody. It is God's people, Christians. 
When you love Christians like this, you have assurance. You know you belong to Jesus when you're loving his people. In fact, John will go on to say in his first epistle, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Paul, or excuse me, John is saying, listen, you can say all day long that you belong to God and that you know God, but if you don't love his people, the truth is not in you. The truth is not in you. I've had people say to me, you know what, pastor, I'm a Christian, but I don't come to church because I just don't like Christians. And I'm like, dude, like, let's just think about this for a second, okay? You're a Christian, you don't like Christians, so you don't like yourself. You don't, first of all, you don't like yourself. And, and then in addition to that, remember the Bible says that you can't just have this distaste and dislove for the people of God because one way that you know that you belong to God is that you love your brothers and sisters. I don't, I don't mean that we're always easy to love. I don't mean to say that there aren't difficulties and challenges, but it is exactly that kind of love that loves through the struggle, through the adversity, is willing to walk with people that sometimes, sometimes we don't think deserve it. Not only does it bring us assurance, but it is a witness. You know you belong to Jesus when you love his people, and the world knows you belong to Jesus when you love his people. Love is the supreme thing, love among us is the supreme thing that perks the attention of the pagan. I'm talking about the unbelieving individual that is looking at our community, looking at Awaken Las Vegas, examining the relationships because you know this is what the world does. The world is looking for a reason to discount Christ. And so, and so yet, when they look at our relationships, they are seeing something that they do not see in the world. You know, we're not just another club. We're not just another group that gathers together on a particular day. There is something happening among us that is otherworldly. And it causes them to take note and to say, you know what? Okay, I'm looking past the buildings and, and past the bumper stickers and, and, and past the programs. What I see relationally among these people is something that I don't see anywhere else. Something I don't see anywhere else. And then you know that line of thinking leads them to a place where they begin to see Jesus because he is alive in our community. Tertullian, uh, an ancient church father, was remarking about this, you know, as Romans were considering this, this um, community of believers that was just blossoming. The Romans, the non-believing people, would look at the early church and say, behold, how they love one another. Behold how they love one another. There was something in the way that they treated one another that, that piqued their attention, that captured their attention. In the most extreme moments in the Colosseum, as they're gathered together and they're about to be slain by a gladiator or vicious animals, the people of God loving one another, huddled up and giving God praise and giving God glory. Man, that arrested the attention of the unbelieving individual. Now, I just want to share some hard facts today. I think, I think that all of us individually and as a church have some room to grow. 
True? And we've got some room to grow. And I think there are three things that threaten us loving one another. And, and since it is a threat to us loving one another, it is, it is also a threat to the world seeing Christ in our lives. The first one is tribalism. The first one is tribalism. I think, I think tribalism is a real threat in the body of Christ. And by tribalism, I simply mean this. We fight amongst ourselves. We fight amongst ourselves individually in a local body. We can find ourselves, you know, actually working against one another instead of for one another. And then from church to church, and that's, when I say tribe, I mean from local church to local church, from non-denomination to denominational. We can find ourselves in a place, we can put ourselves in a place where we are fighting against other people in the body of Christ, you know, either exalting our church or criticizing another church or making issues over things that are not theological but are just matters of preference. And so I would just remind us today that when God looks at the city of Las Vegas, he treasures each individual local church and he has shaped each one uniquely and thank God for those differences, but he sees one people. He sees one people. He sees one church. Tribalism is a threat. I think that Syncretism is a threat. Syncretism is when we take our faith and we intertwine it with other faiths in the world. We take our worship of God and we intertwine it with the worship of the gods of the culture. And I think in Christianity today, we, we can see that there's been syncretism. That some of us, while we worship God on the one hand, we are also bending our knee at the altar of cultural gods on the other hand. You say, well, how do we do that? I would say that many people not only worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they also worship Baal. There is the God of economic, personal economic growth where we have oriented our whole life pursuit around our own economic stability and feeding that machine. In fact, so much so that we relegate or reduce God to a category in our lives. And sometimes we do it under the banner of, well, you know what, I've gotta be responsible and I've gotta be faithful and I'm a super busy person. And yet, you know, God is the one who takes care of us. God is the one who provides for us. You, you know, how do you identify if in fact you're in that spot? Well. Well, when the opportunity comes to pursue God or lean in a little bit more deeply or take your spiritual gifts and use them in some way that would advance the kingdom and you find yourself consistently saying, you know what, I wish I could, but I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm worshiping at the altar of my work for economic stability. I really don't have time for the things of God. No one's going to say amen to that today. The third thing is extreme individualism. The truth is this, in our current Christian culture, we just don't prioritize community. We've privatized our faith. We've privatized our faith. It's a consumer, and this is a big generalization, forgive me for it today, but in many ways, it's a consumer-oriented Christianity that we invite people to be a part of. And we can just privatize our faith. In other words, I'm just saying, we can roll in just ourselves or with our little clique of friends, you know, or our family. And we, we consume, we get what we want, we, we feed on the data, we feed on the experience. And then you know what, we, we're, we're disconnected. 
We're not connected to anybody, and we go out those doors, and we go on our merry way only to interact with the people of God, the community of God, next week, same time, same place. And I, I would just say to that, how can you love one another if you're not with one another, right? How can you love one another if you're not with one another, We love one another as the supreme expression of the character of God because God is love. Leslie Newbegin said it like this. He said, we are appointing people. We're appointing people. That's what we are. We don't point the finger to us. We point the finger to him. And when people see our love, they see Jesus. The question here is this. This is the way he wraps that sentence up. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if, if, I have to answer if, for me. Rachel has to answer if for her. And you have to answer if for yourself. If we choose the way of Christ, the world is going to see. We pray, God, reach our city. Reach our city. And you know, it's not just a a program. It's not just passing out Bibles to, to pacify our conscience. I'm not saying that that's bad. It's good. It's in the hard work of loving one another. And when we do that in this city, in this church, the people will take notice. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, God. I just appreciate everyone's patience today in considering this. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Don't let us off the hook. Don't let us off the hook. Today, as our eyes are closed, as our heads are bowed, hey, just two things this morning. The first one is this. Maybe you need to come and get the love of God. Maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Christ, and you know you've had this lens through which you've seen Christianity, and, and I'll tell you right now, my lens was all messed up. I thought religious people just obeying the law self-righteous snobs, and I had no idea that it was about the love of God. God loves you today. He knows you. He knows every detail, and he beckons you to come. Will you come? Will you receive God's love, his life-transforming love? This morning, if this is you right where you're sitting, I want to pray for you. Today, you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You need his love. Would you raise your hand today if this is you? Just so I can lift you up to the Father, you'd say, you know, God bless you right here in the front. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand over here on my right. Thank you. Just stretch your hand up high. God knows what you need over here on my left. Thank you for raising your hand. Here in the center, section. Thank you so much in the back here over on my right. God bless you. See your hand in the back. See your hand in this row here. See your hand over here on my left. Look, you might be at rock bottom and your life is just a just a disaster. It's a mess. He loves you. Come to him. You might be just having blazing success in your life, but you know that nothing you gain is satisfying the need within you. God's placed that there to call you to himself. You can come just as you are today. Is there anybody else? Thank you for hearing my right. God bless you. 
you can put your hands down. The second thing today is this, if as a Christian, I just want to frame it in these words, you know, maybe you just need a fresh work of God's love in your life. And the manifestation, the reason that you know you need it is there's just not been a lot of love flowing through you. Today, you need to be renewed. Today, you need to be refilled. Today, you need to allow the Lord to touch the areas of your heart that have been untouched by him. Christian, today, if this is you, would you raise your hand? Just stretch your hand up high. God bless you and you and you and you and you and you and you. God bless you. Thank you. See over here on my left. Here in the front. Father, thank you today for these. God, that you are working in and moving in and speaking to. God, we pray. Fill them today with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand up together right now. And this is what we're going to do. I don't, I don't want to disconnect the moment here. If you raise your hand today, either to receive Christ or as a Christian, you just need that fresh touch of God's love. I want to lead you in prayer because your relationship with God is not between you, me, and him. It's between you, Jesus, and the Father. And today you just need to pray. Today you need to bear your heart to God. And you know he is present today to touch you and to do a great work. If you raise your hand today to receive Christ or as a Christian to receive that touch, come forward to the front right now. And I just want to encourage all of you to do this. Like we're, we're going to hold on to this moment until God is done doing what he wants to do. Our follow-up leaders are here in the front. You raise your hand. Just start making your way forward. Okay, you might be in the middle of a row. It's okay. People will step aside. God bless you guys. Come on forward today. Well, let me just say on behalf of all of us, thank God for what he is doing in your lives. We give him praise today. And your love. And your love. I'm going to lead these in prayer, and I don't always do this, but I, I just think that there's another person today. I mean, and you might say, well, obviously there's another person. No, I really think there is another person and you know who you are, and God is speaking to you today, and what you've needed all along is the love of God. And holding out only hurts you. I mean, it hurts the heart of the Father, but it hurts you. And God has been speaking to you, and God has been doing something in your life, not so that you could just stay in the place that you've always been, but so that he could do something new and powerful and transformational. I'm gonna lead these in prayer today, but you know, if I say these things and you're thinking he's talking to me, God is talking to you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's bow our heads together today. And I want you to make this your prayer. It's a simple prayer I'm going to lead you in. And, and I, I know your heart will resonate with all these things that you'll be praying. Just make this your prayer to the Father, and, and he's going to bless you. Pray with me today. Father, thank you for loving me. And today, I come to you just as I am, 
with all of my struggles and all of my sin. I'm choosing to believe in Jesus and to follow him. And I receive your forgiveness, your love, your grace, your mercy. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.